Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. For the past few weeks, we've been in this series from the book of Galatians called Jesus Plus Nothing, and today we are going to wrap it up. We're going to end it. We're going to place a nice little bow on it. And I actually think that this message today is probably the most important message from this series. So if you're here today, just turn to the person next to you and say, congratulations. congratulations. You made it. You know, some people, they're vacationing today. They're going to miss this one. And for those of you who are watching online, thank you for watching. And you're going to get something, too. I just believe that God's going to do something amazing in every heart and every life. Uh, Cameron, I want you to come up here and just stand right here. And then, John, if you'd come up here, I want you to stand just right here, just on either side of the podium. This is Cameron. Cameron brings his headphones to church. Cameron brings his own camera to church. He videotapes himself. So that he can play it back on the interweb. And uh, we're, we're actually not talking about humility today, but we will get around to that at some point in time. Uh, just remember that God humbles the proud. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. I love Cameron. I've known Cameron for several years. Uh, Cameron right here is going to represent the Old Testament. Somebody say the Old Testament. John over here, he's going to represent the New Testament. Somebody say the New Testament. So what I want you to understand is your Bible is separated into two major sections. You've got the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, and then you've got the New Testament and the New Covenant. And the only way to truly understand Scripture is to bring the two together. Because everything that is happening here in Cameron is happening before Jesus enters this earth in flesh. Everything that is happening here is after Jesus' birth, his ministry, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. But everything that is happening over here with Cameron is pointing, put your pointer finger up. Everything that's happening with Cameron is pointing to here. If you don't understand that, you're going to get majorly, majorly confused. I know Christians who believe in Jesus Christ that have decided they're going to start going through Scripture, and they go to the Old Testament without an understanding of the New Testament, and they become a Jew. And then they get saved by the time they make it to the New Testament. So it's important to understand that everything that is happening here is leading to here. What Paul is doing in many of his books and letters to the churches is he's saying, hey, I want to show you how the two work together. They do not oppose each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, they do not oppose each other. See, some people think that the two contradict one another. They do not contradict one another. They work together. Somebody turn to the person next to you and say, they are together. Thank you, John and Cameron. You may be seated. When I was a kid, I started a, a band at my dad's church. I was like seven or eight years old. And it was me, I played bass guitar, and then we had two other kids that played the six-string guitar. Now, I did not own a bass guitar, and so 
I took a little guitar that I had. It was called a Terminator. It had a built-in speaker, 9-volt battery, built-in amp, the whole bit. I cut off the bottom two strings so that I would have a four-string. And our band went on tour. It was amazing. And we toured every single children's class in my father's church. And we only played one song. <laughs> and you, you may be thinking, was it, Lord, I lift your name on high? No. You may be thinking, was it, uh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary? Do you all remember that one? Lord, prepare me. That would have been a really good choice. Uh, but our, our decision to find one song to play for our tour around the church was Guns N' Roses, Knocking on Heaven's Door. And we didn't even try to change the lyrics to make it a little more spiritual, you know. <laughs> uh, Mama, take this gun from me. <laughs> Uh, be blessed, children. So I just want you to know, like, when your kids are over there today, they're actually learning about Jesus. They're not hearing Guns N' Roses knocking on heaven's door. But I have a point to the story. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's a point to the story. Knocking on heaven's door had three chords. It was G, C, and D. Those are the only three chords you needed to know. And as a bass player, it's even more simplified because all you have to do is know three chords notes. And so I took my little six-string guitar that I clipped two of the strings off of, and I learned to play G, C, and D over and over again. Every Sunday that we toured all the children's classes, I got pretty efficient at Guns N' Roses knocking on heaven's door. But I, at that time, had no music theory. I had never taken a music lesson. I don't read music, still don't read music to this day, and at that point, I did not have the ability to play by ear. But what I did do is I learned to watch the guitar players, and I saw them play G, C, and D so many times that I began to be able to identify the chord by what I saw. So as I got a little bit older, one day I picked up a six-string guitar, and I sat down, and I immediately started playing the guitar without any guitar lessons because I was playing what I had already seen. I, I took where I started and I built upon that. See, the, the, the three notes was my starting point. It is the place I began, but I progressed beyond that and kept on building upon that which where I started. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's always a starting point. You do know that, right? In everything, there is a starting point. And what Paul is doing through the book of Galatians is he's presenting faith as the starting point to our journey with God. He's saying if you want to walk with God, it's got to start with faith and then everything can build from there. For instance, let's just use this. Jesus, in John the 10th chapter, he says, I'm the door, which means he's the access point to the kingdom of God. There is no way into the kingdom of God. There is no way into the family of God. There is no way into the presence of God without Jesus. Somebody say it takes Jesus. Jesus is the door. He's the access point. It's not a multiple choice quiz here. It's not one of those, uh, well, there may be many ways, or I can just bubble in the Scantron. How many of you remember Scantrons? I can just bubble in the Scantron with my number two pencil however I want and hope to pass the test. Jesus explicitly says, I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one, somebody say no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door. He is the access point. But if Jesus is the door, then I want you to see faith as the key that unlocks the door. Faith is where I start. Faith is what carries me through. Faith is what brings me into the place to where I'm actually working for God and pleasing God. Faith is the starting point. Faith is what makes everything work. Turn to the person next to you and say, faith, faith. makes everything work. And so that's, that's the title of this message today is Faith That Works. Faith That Works. And there's going to be three points to this sermon. It's going to be faith that works for me, faith that works in me, and faith that works through me. Faith that works for me, it works on my behalf. Faith that works in me, and then finally that faith will always, if it's sincere faith, work through me. So let's start with faith that works for me. This is saving faith. Turn to the person next to you and say saving faith. Let's go to Galatians, the third chapter, verse 5. Paul writes, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I want you to see that right there, that it is not just hearing, it is hearing with faith. Faith has to be mixed into everything for it to become effective. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Here's the argument within the early church. The children of Abraham are heirs according to the promises of God. Fact or fiction? Fact, 100%. The promises of God are made available to the children of Abraham. The problem is some saw the children of Abraham as a bloodline thing. So you have to actually be a descendant of Abraham to be an heir of the promise. Paul is saying... And what he's arguing for is it has nothing to do with the bloodline. It has everything to do with faith. Abraham became a child of God through faith. The family of God was started through faith. If you want to enter the family of God, you have to come in the same way Abraham did, which is what? Faith. Are y'all with me this morning? Verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's us, non-Jewish descent, the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel, which is the good news, beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified or made right before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by, everybody say it out loud, faith. Faith is what drives you. If you are in the kingdom of God, if you are in the family of God, it is your faith that drives you. The righteous live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. But here's the good news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through, everybody say it, faith. Paul is asking, are you made right with God through your ability to perform or are you made right with God through faith? This is a difficult concept for us to comprehend sometimes because we are so performance-based. If you want to get a paycheck, you've got to what? Perform. If you're a kid and you want the reward, you've got to perform. If you want to graduate high school, you've got to perform. If you're in a relationship, whether it be a friendship or a dating relationship or a marriage scenario, the only way that thing is going to stay together is by your what? Performance. So that's how we all think. We, all, we automatically think, whether we realize it or not, that everything is about our performance. But Paul is saying, it's not about your performance. That's not the starting point. The starting point is faith. And he uses Abraham as his case study. He says, God comes to Abraham, tells him, I'm going to bless you, going to multiply you, I'm going to increase you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a family. And through that family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Basically, God is saying, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And Abraham's only responsibility in this covenant is to simply believe. All he had to do is have faith. Isn't that amazing? It's not like God gave him a list of things saying, you, if you'll check this off, check this off, check this off, check this off, then I will do what I said I would do. He just says, this is what I'm going to do. Abraham believes and God does it. And I'm sure Abraham had all kinds of questions and concerns. How many of you know it's okay to have questions? You know, some people believe that if you have questions, you don't have faith. That's false. It's normal to have questions. Faith has nothing to do with whether or not you have questions or don't have questions. And I want to just clue you in on something. God can handle your questions. He's not like this insecure being in the sky that's, you know, we're going to offend him with our questions. He can handle our questions. Faith is moving beyond what we question, whether we understand it or not. So it's okay to have questions, but my faith will move beyond what I question. Why? Because I don't lean on what I understand. There's a lot of things that I don't fully understand, but I believe they work. Like, I, I don't know how a car works. Some of you are in here, like, Rick, you're a mechanic. You, you know how a car works. I don't. But I do know if I put my key in the ignition and turn it, it's going to crank. 
And that car will be just as effective for me as it will be for a master mechanic. It's not based upon what I know. It's, a base, it's based upon what I believe and how I respond to that which I believe. The Bible says in Proverbs, the third chapter, verse 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, what? To your own understanding. There it is. There's going to be things in life that you don't understand. There's going to be things in life you question. It's okay. But God says don't lean on that. Don't put your confidence in that. Don't put your focus in that. Don't put your trust in that. Trust in me. And if you'll acknowledge me, talk to me about this with everything, then guess what I'm going to do? I will direct your path. What that says to me is I don't have to figure everything out. All I got to do is trust God and he'll get me where I need to be. I think the older you get, the more you can understand that because you can see everything that you've been through in life, everything that you questioned from your past, like in the moment you were thinking, why me, why now, why this? But as you move forward, you can see the hand of God that's been on your life and the favor and mercy that's been there all along. And if it had not had been for some of those seasons that you walked through, you wouldn't be where you are right now. And so the older you get, it just, for me, it becomes easier to trust God, even in very, very difficult situations. Times that I'm like, I'm thinking like, okay, God, if you don't show up, this is going to be a train wreck. But I know that God will always show up because he is faithful. And if God says something, he will do it. He is not a man that he should lie. He will always watch over his word to perform it. But when his word is spoken, it has to be mixed with faith for it to become effective for you. So Paul is saying, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into the family of God, it happens by faith, by allowing that faith in God to work for you, to bring you in. Are you, are you following this? That's what brings me into the kingdom of God. If you are saved today, it is because faith has worked for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, faith's got to work for you. Your salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone. Period. End of sentence. Salvation is not earned by a haircut. Salvation is not earned by what you smoke or you do not smoke. You know, so many, so many of us, we've, we grew up in a religion that, that, made, like, like, that made everything a first-way ticket to hell. And hear what I'm saying. There are things that are not healthy for your body. It's not physically good for you, but it doesn't mess with your salvation. There are things that you've got to use wisdom in and use wisdom about, and that needs to be between you and God to work out. But understand this, your faith is what saves you. Your faith in who and what he has accomplished. That is how Abraham came in. So faith works for me. Say, faith works for me. The second thing is this. Faith works in me. Faith works in me. This is abiding faith. This is what I'm really excited about today. Because when we talk about works and faith like Paul does, sometimes we see these two things as things that contradict one another. 
but they actually don't. They don't contradict one another. They actually complement one another. Faith works in me. This is abiding faith. Somebody say abiding faith. See, God loves you where you are. That means it doesn't matter what you have done in your life. It doesn't matter what you did, said, or thought on your way to church this morning. It does not change the love of God towards you, which many of us need to understand that. We need to learn how to accept the love of God and rest in the love of God. We're not striving for this. It's something, it's a gift. It's something we earn. It's something we receive. God loves you where you are. As a matter of fact, just tell the person next to you, say, God loves you where you are. But he doesn't want to leave you there, okay? God's desire is to continuously transform you into his image and likeness so you get to the place to where you think like him, you speak like him, you respond like him, and you work like him. Because you are in him, he is in you, we are his body, which means we are his hands and feet here on this earth. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ is the head of the church, but a head must have a body, which is you. Faith makes you a part of the body. And the more you abide in him, the more transformation you see. So abiding faith produces transformation in your life. Remember, God doesn't want to leave you where you are. He wants to transform you. He's got a whole new life for you. He's got some great stuff prepared for you. And this happens through abiding. Somebody say abiding. Abiding faith believes that it is God who works in you to will and do of his good pleasure. So the closer I stick to him, the more I abide in him, the more I become like him, because abiding faith is where transformation happens. I'm going to repeat myself a lot today because I want you to understand this, because I love this word, abide. I love the word, abide. The Bible says in John 15, verse 1, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the true vine, which means there are other things that we try to attach ourselves to in life. We attach ourselves to relationships, substances, careers, homes, boats, cars, clothes, you name it. We attach ourselves to these things looking for life. Jesus wants us to know I'm the source. I am the true vine. I am the only one that can give you the nutrients you need for life. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So I'm the source of life and my father is the one that's overseeing the process. Then he says, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may do what? Bear more fruit. So he's the vine. I want you to get this picture. He is the vine. We are the branches. He says, if a branch is not bearing fruit, he takes it away. Now, sometimes we see that taking away as a removal. But actually, if you go to the original language there, that taking away is not a removal because you are a branch. 
Once you are a branch, you are a branch. Turn to the person next to you and say, once you're a branch, you're a branch. I mean, that can start a whole nother subject there. But once you are a true branch, you are a branch. And if you're not fruitful in a moment or a time in your life, what God does as the vine dresser, he says he comes and takes it away, which means he lifts it up. He takes it off the ground. Why? Because he loves you. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be productive. He wants you to walk in the purpose in which he has called you to. So he lifts you up. He takes you away and he puts you back into a position to where you can grow. So that's one thing that happens right there. He says he's the vine where the branches, he lifts up. The next thing he does is something that we don't like. He prunes, which means if I abide in him, there's going to be some pruning that takes place. There's going to be some work of the Holy Spirit where I start getting convicted. Things that I used to do and accept, the Holy Spirit will start saying, now, bro, it's time to make a left-hand turn here, arm. That's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And whenever the Holy Spirit convicts you, you need to lean into that conviction. Why? It is for your help and not your harm. He's trying to make you fruitful. See, sometimes we don't like correction because correction doesn't feel good. I've gone to the doctor before where they say, hey, you're fat. I mean, they use medical terms. <laughs> my, my wife would be like, well, why don't you go to the doctor? I'm like, because they're going to tell me the same thing uh, they told me last time. You're fat. Yeah, I got it. You know, and it doesn't feel good when the doctor tells you that. It doesn't feel good when the doctor says, hey, you've got high cholesterol. It doesn't feel good when the doctor says you've got high blood pressure. It doesn't feel good when your doctor says you've got to go on a diet. I mean, I was the kid when I went to the doctor, they would say, like, here's the chart, you know, in the middle's normal, down here's below normal, up here's above normal, arm, you have fallen off the chart. None of that feels good, but I, I, I've learned over time that the doctor's not trying to hurt my feelings. The doctor is interested in my well-being. The doctor is letting me know what I need to correct so that I can live the healthiest life possible. So when the Holy Spirit convicts, he's pruning, he's cutting away, he's saying, here's some things that we want to work on. Here's some things that we need to change. Here's some relationship situations that we need to turn around. If you want to be fruitful, how many of you want to be productive? Then allow the Holy Spirit to do his pruning. Because I've learned he will prune you. Whether you like it or not, he will prune you. And the sooner you allow him to do it, the less painful it will be. But if you start allowing all kinds of nonsense things to attach it to your branch and you never deal with it and never keep it maintained, it becomes a big problem. That's why I'm so thankful like, uh, for the people that came out and bush hogged the property. And then uh, I heard you hand mowed the retention pond. Uh, Mr. Kudwa did. He hand mowed the retention pond. And that's a big task. But as big as the task may be, it's better to do it now when it's manageable than when there's oak trees in there and you got to come in with a crane lift and a chainsaw to remove it. You, you hear what I'm saying? So God will prune you. The best thing to do is to yield to him and allow him to get that thing done quickly. I think as a child of God, the best response that we should have as we abide in him is to say, God, whatever it is that you need me to learn, I want to learn it quickly. 
Whatever it is that you're wanting to do in me, I want it to be done as quick as possible because I want to grow and get into that fruitful season. He says, I am the vine, John 15, 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So faith brings me into this place where I'm going to abide in him because I understand the only way I'm going to be productive in my life is through him and not through my works. Are you understanding? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. You were created by God to be fruitful and productive. You need to know that. From the very beginning of time, when God created man and woman, he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That has always been the design of God is for you to be fruitful, to multiply, and to be productive in your life. And your faith will produce the fruit that God desires. So there are things that God desires from your life. There are things in you that God desires to see in your life. But it's not produced by your striving, it's produced by your abiding. As you abide, the fruit begins to grow. Does that make sense to you? The apple does not have to strive. All it has to do is be a part of the tree. And if it is an apple tree, it will produce an apple. That's how it is. If you are connected to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work inside of you, he will produce what he desires because it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So that's abiding faith. Somebody say abiding faith. The final faith that I want to talk about today is the faith that works through me. This is active faith. Somebody say active faith. Ephesians, the second chapter. Let's go there together. Starting at verse 8. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. No one's going to get the credit for their salvation. I love that. doesn't matter how hard you try, you're going to get zero credit for it because it's all about what Jesus has done for you. He says, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The, the, the big point is, if you have faith, it will produce activity. If you have true, sincere faith, there will be some works evident in your life. And that's, that's where the controversy comes in. Because you have some people where it's like, it's all works. It's all what you do. Then you have some people, it's, no, it's all the grace. Brother, just put your hand on your heart. Just push, just push, just push. That's the love of God on your life, just pushing. It's not two separate things. But it starts here with grace through faith that now produces works. Are you following me? So I'm not saved by my works, but once I am saved, I am absolutely 100% called to works. What I mean by that is 
I'm not saved by my church attendance. Did you know that? Jesus isn't keeping roll. Bob and Joel are here. <laughs> Father, we will let them in. <laughs> So-and-so is uh, not at church today. They do not get to come in. Hey, my church attendance does not save me. However, if I am saved, I will desire to be in church because I understand that this is his body. This is where we come together corporately to worship him. This is where we are trained and strengthened for the mission and the purpose. If I am saved and I understand scripture, I understand that I cannot do life on my own because I was not created by God to do life on my own. I always think it's hilarious when people say, well, I can find God anywhere. I don't need a church. I'm thinking, well, you do need a Bible because you need to start reading it because you have completely missed the point of everything. Jesus died for the church, which is his body. Jesus is not a finger running around town. He is a body, <laughs> and we are together. So can you seek God on your own? Yes, but it also needs corporate time together. That's why the writer says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Especially the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more we need to be coming together because there's strength in our coming together. Iron sharpens iron. I pray for you, you pray for me. And the more we come together and the more powerful we become because we are a body designed to work and function together. Do you understand that? So I'm not saved by my attendance, but I will desire to attend. You're not saved by how much money you give. Did you know that? Jesus isn't keeping a tally up there in heaven going, well, that person, man, they dropped a big check in the, in the offering plate. We're going to let them and God give them a special seat in heaven. But if you are saved, you will desire to give. You will desire to honor God with your wealth because you understand it is a form of worship. You understand that it is God who has placed everything in your hand. You are not saved by meeting the needs of others. Like there are some people, like they're great philanthropists, but they're going to hell. They'll say, well, I'm a good person. No, no one's a good person, not according to Scripture. Jesus said no one's good except for God. So that means you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're no good. <laughs> Does that hurt a little bit? <laughs> See, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good to know that I, I'm not good, but to also know that you're not good either. You know, so many times we're like so quick to like pick up stones and we want to throw it at people and it's either because we have forgotten where we've come from and the grace and mercy of God in our life or we haven't had to walk through what they're walking through. But I, I promise you something. You keep on throwing that stone at something that you haven't walked through and you will have an opportunity to walk through it. And when you come under that judgment and you walk into what that person walked through that you judged, get ready. God has a way of working things out. God has a way of working things out. You are looking at one of the most merciful people on the planet. And I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm saying that because I've seen enough to know that anytime I say I would never, God gives me an opportunity to prove it. 
And through that, he shows me how weak and stupid I really am. So now I say all things are possible. <laughs> God, I need your mercy to help me through this. And I understand Galatians 6, that if we find a brother or sister in fault, if we're spiritual, we restore. We don't cast down. Amen? We're here to love. The Spirit of God is a spirit of restoration and a spirit of unity, not a spirit of condemnation. You're hearing me? So I want you to know my heart. I don't care what you've done. I don't want to know what you've done, to be honest with you. Like some of you feel like I need to know everything. I don't want to know. I absolutely don't want to know. Uh, but it doesn't matter to me what you've done. I'm not going to judge you because I don't know what you've gone through. I don't understand the pressure or the hell that you had to face that has caused you to make the decision that you're making. And I'm not going to judge that. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to believe the best in you, the best for you, and believe that God can restore you and do something great in you even though you have failed. Even though you fall short, God still loves you and he will use you. We see that all through Scripture. So meeting the needs of people is not what saves me. However, if I am truly saved, I am going to desire to meet the needs of people because faith will always demand a corresponding action. It's not in what you say you believe. It's in what you walk out. But here's the thing. It's not you trying to walk it out. It is the Spirit of God actually placing the desire in you for that and then giving you the uh, ability to actually do it. But faith has to have action. James says faith without works is dead. In other words, it's useless. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. If you have put your faith in the love of God, I will see that through how you love. There's going to be some things produced. Jesus says they'll know you by your fruit, right? It's by what is being produced through you. So the faith that I receive from God works for me. That brings me into the family. The faith of God that I have works in me. It begins to transform me, begins to change me. Has anyone in here experienced that in their life? But it also wants to work through me. God desires for you to be his hands and his feet on this earth. And here's the thing about faith. Start with what you got. Everyone's got a measure of faith. Start using and working what you have. Start exercising because as you activate your faith, as you begin to use your faith, that's how your faith is built. The more I put my faith into something and I see God respond, the more I have faith for that. Build your faith. There's so many things in this life that we tried to build. Build your faith because faith makes everything possible. Faith makes everything work. Faith makes everything work. It makes the Word of God work in your life because the Word has to be mixed with faith. Faith makes your worship work. See, if you don't have faith and you say you're worshiping, you're just singing a song. But if you have faith that God is, that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him, and I know that God, as I begin to sing praises to you, as I begin to worship you with my life, I know you show up. See, that's what worship is. I'm honoring God. 
But I have faith in knowing that as I honor God, he steps into the room. Everything becomes living and active through faith. The prophet George Michael would say, you've got to have faith. Father, I thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come together in your presence. And Lord, I'm asking that your word would continue to work on every heart and life to bring transformation, to bring change, and to cause us to be who it is that you have called us to be. Lord, we give you permission to lift up. We give you permission to prune. God, we give you permission today to do in us and through us what it is that you desire to do. If there's anyone in here this morning or maybe you're watching online, you've never put your faith in Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the greatest love that the universe has ever known. The love of a God who would come to this earth and bleed and die in your place so that you can have life. And that life is simply received by placing your faith in what he has done. So this morning, if that person is you, simply respond to him. Say, Father, I receive you into my heart and life. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that I am right now made right with you because of what you have done.